Chapter 19 of The Wolf Leader by Alexander Dumas, translated by Alfred Allenson, 1852-1929. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by John Van Stan, Savannah, Georgia. Chapter 19 The Dead and the Living At the same moment that the trembling soul of the young baron passed away, Thibault, awaking as if from an agitated sleep full of terrible dreams, sat up on his bed. He was surrounded by fire, every corner of his hut was in flames. At first he thought it was a continuation of his nightmare, but then he heard cries of, Death to the wizard! Death to the sorcerer! Death to the werewolf! And he understood that some terrible attack was being made upon him. The flames came nearer, they reached the bed, he felt their heat upon him. A few seconds more and he would be burned alive in the midst of the flaming pile. Thibault leaped from his bed, seized his boar spear, and dashed out of the back door of his hut. No sooner did his enemies see him rush through the fire and emerge from the smoke than their cries of death to him, death, were redoubled. One or two shots were fired at him. Thibault heard the bullets whiz past. Those who shot at him wore the livery of the Grand Master, and Thibault recalled the menace of the Lord of Vez uttered against him a few days before. He was then beyond the pale of the law. He could be smoked out of his hole like a fox. He could be shot down like a buck. Luckily for Thibault, not one of the bullets struck him, and as the circle of fire made by the burning hut was not a large one, he was soon safely beyond it, and once again in shelter of the vast and gloomy forest, where, had it not been for the cries of the menials who were burning down his house, the silence would have been as complete as the darkness. He sat down at the foot of a tree and buried his head in his hands. The events of the last forty-eight hours had succeeded each other with such rapidity that there was no lack of matter to serve as subjects of reflection to the shoemaker. The twenty-four hours during which he had lived another existence than his own seemed to him like a dream, so much so that he would not have dared to take his oath that all this recent affair between the Baron and the Countess Jane and the Comte de Montgobert had really taken place. The church clock of Wan Yi struck ten, and he lifted his head ten o'clock and only half an hour before he had been still in the body of the baron raoul as he lay dying in the house of the cure de puiseaux ah he exclaimed i must find out for certain what has happened it is not quite three miles to puiseaux and i shall be there in half an hour i should like to ascertain if the baron is really dead a melancholy howl made answer to his words he looked around his faithful bodyguards were back again he had his pack about him once more come my wolves come my only friends he cried let us be off and he started with them across the forest in the direction of puiseaux the huntsmen of the lord of vez who were poking up the remaining embers of the ruined hut saw a man pass as in a vision running at the head of a dozen or more wolves they crossed themselves and became more convinced than ever that thibault was a wizard and anybody else who had seen thibault flying along as swiftly as his swiftest wolf and covering the ground between Wan Yi and Puiseaux in less than a quarter of an hour, would certainly have thought so too. He stopped at the entrance to the village and turned to his wolves. He said, Friend wolves, I have no further need of you tonight, and indeed I wish to be alone. Amuse yourselves with the stables in the neighborhood. I give you leave to do just what you like, and if you chance to come across one of these two-footed animals called men, forget friend wolves that they claim to be made in the image of their creator and never fear to satisfy your appetite whereupon the wolves rushed off in different directions uttering howls of joy while thibault went on into the village 
The curé's house adjoined the church, and Thibault made a circuit so as to avoid passing in front of the cross. When he reached the presbytery, he looked in through one of the windows, and there he saw a bed with a lighted wax candle beside it, and over the bed itself was spread a sheet, and beneath the sheet could be seen the outlines of a figure lying rigid in death. There appeared to be no one in the house, so the priest had no doubt gone to give notice of the death to the village authorities. Thibault went inside, and called the priest, but no one answered. He walked up to the bed. There could be no mistake about the body under the sheet being that of a dead man. He lifted the sheet. There could be no mistaking that the dead body was that of Raoul de Vauparfond. On his face lay the still unearthly beauty which is born of eternity. His features, which in life had been somewhat too feminine for those of a man, had now assumed the somber grandeur of death. At the first glance you might have thought he only slept, but on gazing longer you recognized in that immovable calm something more profound than sleep. The presence of one who carries a sickle for scepter and wears a shroud for mantle was unmistakable, and you knew King Death was there. Thibault had left the door open, and he heard the sound of light footsteps approaching. At the back of the alcove hung a serge curtain, which masked a door by which he could retreat if necessary, and he now went and placed himself behind it. A woman dressed in black and covered with a black veil paused in some hesitation at the door. The head of another woman passed in front of hers and looked carefully round the room. "'I think it's safe for madame to go in. I see no one about, and besides, I will keep watch.' The woman in black went in, walked slowly towards the bed, stopped a moment to wipe the perspiration from her forehead, then without further hesitation lifted the sheet which Thibault had thrown back over the face of the dead man. Thibault then saw that it was the countess. "'Alas!' she said. "'What they told me was true!' Then she fell on her knees, praying and sobbing. Her prayer being ended, she rose again, kissed the pale forehead of the dead, and the blue marks of the wound through which the soul had fled. "'Oh, my well-beloved, my Raoul,' she murmured, "'who will tell me the name of your murderer? Who will help me to avenge your death?' As the countess finished speaking, she gave a cry and started back. She seemed to hear a voice that answered, "'I will,' and something had shaken the green serge curtain. The countess, however, was no chicken-hearted woman. She took the candle that was burning at the head of the bed and went and looked behind the curtain. But no creature was to be seen. A closed door was all that met her eye. She put back the candle, took a pair of gold scissors from a little pocket case, cut off a curl of the dead man's hair, placed the curl in a black velvet satchel, which hung over her heart, gave one last kiss to her dead lover, laid the sheet over his face, and left the house. Just as she was crossing the threshold, she met the priest, and drawing back, drew her veil more closely over her face. "'Who are you?' asked the priest. "'I am grief,' she answered, and the priest made way for her to pass. The countess and her attendant had come on foot and were returning in the same manner, for the distance between Puisseau and Montcobert was not much more than half a mile. When about halfway along their road, a man who had been hiding behind a willow tree stepped forward and barred their further passage. Lisette screamed, but the countess, without the least sign of fear, went up to the man and asked, "'Who are you?' The man who answered, "'I will,' just now, when you were asking who would denounce the murderer to you." "'And you can help me to revenge myself on him?' "'Whenever you like.' 
at once we cannot talk here very well where can we find a better place in your own room for one we must not enter the castle together no but i can go through the breach in the park wall mademoiselle lisette can wait for me in the hut where monsieur raoul used to leave his horse she can take me up the winding stair and into your room if you should be in your dressing-room i will wait for you as monsieur raoul waited the night before last the two women shuddered from head to foot who are you to know all these details asked the countess i will tell you when the time comes for me to tell you the countess hesitated a moment then recovering her resolutions she said very well then come through the breach lisette will wait for you in the stable oh madame cried the maid i shall never dare to go and bring that man to you i will go myself then said the countess well said put in thibault there spoke a woman worth calling one and so saying he slid down into a kind of ravine beside the road and disappeared lisette nearly fainted lean on me mademoiselle said the countess and let us walk on i am anxious to hear what this man has to say to me the two women entered the castle by way of the farm no one had seen them go out and no one saw them return on reaching her room the countess waited for lisette to bring up the stranger ten minutes had elapsed when the maid hurried in with a pale face ah madame she said there was no need for me to go to fetch him what do you mean asked the countess because he knew his way up as well as i did and oh madame if you knew what he said to me that man is the devil madame i feel sure show him in said the countess i am here said thibault you can leave us now my girl said the countess to lisette the latter quitted the room and the countess remained alone with thibault thibault's appearance was not one to inspire confidence he gave the impression of a man who had once and for all made up his mind but it was also easy to see that it was for no good purpose a satanic smile played about his mouth and there was a demoniacal light in his eyes he had made no attempt to hide his red hairs but had left them defiantly uncovered and they hung over his forehead like a plume of flame but still the countess looked him full in the face without changing color my maid says that you know the way to my room have you ever been here before yes madame once and when was that the day before yesterday at what time from half-past ten till half-past twelve at night the countess looked steadily at him and said that is not true would you like me to tell you what took place during the time you mention during the time i mentioned say on replied the countess laconically thibault was equally laconic monsieur raoul came in by that door he said pointing to the one leading into the corridor and lisette left him here alone you entered the room by that one he continued indicating the dressing-room door and you found him on his knees your hair was unbound only fastened back by three diamond pins you wore a pink silk dressing-gown trimmed with lace pink silk stockings cloth of silver slippers and a chain of pearls round your neck you describe my dress exactly said the countess continue you tried to pick a quarrel with monsieur raoul 
first because he loitered in the corridors to kiss your waiting-maid, secondly because someone had met him late at night on the road between Anneville and Villers-Cotterets, thirdly because at the ball given at the castle, at which you yourself were not present, he danced four times with Madame de Bonneuil. Continue. In answer to your accusations, your lover made excuses for himself, some good, some bad. You, however, were satisfied with them, for you were just forgiving him, when Lisette rushed in, full of alarm, calling to Monsieur Raoul to escape, as your husband had just returned. Lisette was right. You can be nothing less than the devil, said the countess with a sinister laugh. <laughs> and I think we shall be able to do business together. Finish your account. Then you and your maid together pushed Monsieur Raoul, who resisted, into the dressing-room. Lisette forced him along the corridors and through two of the three rooms. They then went down a winding staircase in the wing of the castle opposite to one by which they had gone up. On arriving at the foot of the staircase, the fugitives found the door locked. Then they ran into a kind of office where Lisette opened the window, which was about seven or eight feet above the ground. Monsieur Raoul leaped down out of this window, ran to the stable, found his horse still there, but hamstrung. Then he swore that if he met the Count at any time he would hamstring him as the Count had hamstrung his horse, for he thought it a cowardly act to injure a poor beast so unnecessarily. Then he went on foot to the breach, climbed it, and found the Count awaiting him outside the park with his sword drawn. The Baron had his hunting-knife with him, he drew it, and the duel began. Was the Count alone? Wait. The Count appeared to be alone. After the fourth or fifth pass, the Count was wounded in the shoulder, and sank on one knee, crying, Help! Lestoc! Then the Baron remembered his oath, and hamstrung the Count as he had hamstrung the horse. But as the Baron rose, Lestoc drove his knife into his back. It passed under the shoulder-blade and out through the chest. I need not tell you where you kiss the wound yourself. And after that? The Count and his huntsmen returned to the castle, leaving the Baron lying helpless. When the latter came to, he made signs to some passing peasants, who put him on a litter, and bore him away, with the intention of taking him to Villers-Cotterets. But he was in such pain that they could not carry him farther than Puisseau. There they laid him on the bed where you found him, and on which he breathed his last a second after the half-hour after nine in the evening. The Countess rose and without speaking went to her jewel-case and took out the pearls she had worn two nights before. She handed them to Devaux. "'What are they for?' he asked. "'Take them,' said the countess. "'They are worth fifty thousand livers.' "'Are you still anxious for revenge?' "'Yes,' replied the countess. "'Revenge will cost more than that.' "'How much will it cost?' "'Wait for me to-morrow night,' said Devaux, "'and I will tell you.' "'Where shall I await you?' asked the countess. "'Here,' said Thibault, with the leer of a wild animal. "'I will await you here,' said the countess. "'Till to-morrow, then.' "'Till to-morrow.' Thibault went out. The countess went and replaced the pearls in her dressing-case, lifted up a false bottom, and drew from underneath it a small bottle containing an opal-colored liquid, and a little dagger with a jeweled handle and case, and a blade inlaid with gold. She hid both beneath her pillow, knelt at her prie-dieu, and her prayer finished, threw herself dressed onto her bed. End of chapter 19 Recording by John Van Stan, Savannah, Georgia